it's been so long since I've preached, I don't know if I remember how to do it. <laughs> and uh, perhaps you're wondering if I ever did. <laughs> uh, okay, we're starting into a new series today, and it was great just to sing that song uh, about God's goodness, because that's a bit of a theme, really, through this series. The series is called Created for Good. Uh, maybe we can bring up our sermon slide here. So, Created for Good. And what I want us to be reminded of in this series is about God's goodness, but also as he created the world, how he created it for the purpose of good things. And how that we have, uh, within our design and within the design of the world, goodness. And in the world that we see around us, it can be easy to see the brokenness, the pain, the struggle, the suffering, and to forget the greater intention behind it all. But I think we all love origin stories. Some of us have our own personal origin stories. Our our country has an origin story that right now is one that is uh, troubling in some ways. And we have origin stories in movies and films. In fact, we have a whole genre of origin stories for superheroes. When we sit down and we meet each other for the first time and have dinner together, I might say to you, tell me how you and your husband or how you and your wife, how you met, what is your origin story? Companies and businesses tell a story of how they began, what their purpose was, why they started the company in the first place. Perhaps that story has changed over time, but it gives them some sense of their mission, their purpose, the reason for being. We love origin stories because they get within us a sense of purpose and there's a sense of calling and a reason for being that empowers us. I remember a number of years ago sitting at my grandmother's funeral and at the time I was here as the pastor of community outreach working primarily with newcomers to Canada. And at my grandmother's funeral I was hearing story after story as my aunt read some of my grandmother's journal. And within the journal, it was talking about her own just love for people who were new to Canada. And for me in that moment, I was hearing a sense of my own origin story, that there was this deep family history for me that was connected with what I was doing now, my purpose now as a pastor. And I was seeing that this was something my family had been involved in for generations back. But in that story, it went even further because she was talking about her grandparents. And her grandparents were missionaries, some of the first Canadian Baptists sent to India, where they were sharing the good news of Jesus. So my great-great-grandfather was a missionary in India. My great-grandmother was born in India as a small child, and they came back to Canada. And so generation after generation in my family, there was this love for people who were different than us. And that gave me a sense of an origin story, a sense of purpose, a sense of calling, even greater than I realized ever before. Now, Genesis, as it was written, was, uh, we often say it was probably written by Moses. So it is Moses looking back into the past, recording the origin stories of the people of Israel as they are being brought out of slavery in Egypt into a new promised land. And he goes back to begin at the beginning with an origin story. Where have they come from? Who are they as a people? What has been their purpose? 
Now, a number of months ago, we were looking in Revelation where John, uh, the revelator, uh, was looking into the future and by God's Spirit was speaking about things yet to come. Moses, by the Spirit of God, was looking back into the past, seeing things that could not be seen by a human being, recording the stories of the people of God. These stories give a sense of purpose for a people who had been in slavery for hundreds of years to now begin in a new way to be reminded of who they are, their value, their importance to God. The goodness of the world that they had only known as brokenness. And so we've spent the past three weeks talking about exile. That wasn't an intended theme, but that was the theme which our sermons took on as we had guest speakers. And today I want to remind you of your goodness of our purpose, why we are here as human beings in the world. And we'll be addressing all kinds of themes beginning at the very beginning of it all. Now, I'm not going to get into all the depths of Genesis 1 and 2. There's so much there that we could talk about. But through this series, we're going to primarily focus on our sense of purpose. Why were we created? And I think that would be so helpful for us helpful for us as we get going. So, with that said, let me tell you the story of Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to do it uh, kind of in summary form with the simple story uh, images on the screen that I've used before. I'm not going to try to, to remember every word and to remember all of the details. Not all of them are important for our purposes today, but of course they're beautiful. And what is being told there to us in that story is just an incredible picture. But let me tell it to you in a simple form. In the beginning, God. God. God created the heavens and the earth. He's the source of it all. It's where it all began. He is the beginning. Then, day one, God spoke. He spoke and said, let there be light separating light from darkness. And there was day and night, day one. He looked and saw that it was good. Next. God spoke, said, let the waters be separated, the water of the sky from the water below. As he separated these, the world was coming into shape and form what had previously been formless and void. Day two. God spoke, and he said, let the water be separated from the land and gathered together in one place. And the waters and the land were distinct. Upon the land, there began to grow trees, bushes and vegetation, seeds of all kinds. God looked and he saw it was good. Day three. Then, God spoke and he said, let there be be lights to go within the light and the darkness, the day and the night. One greater in the day that will shine brightly, one lesser in the night. God looked and saw that it was good. Day four. Next, God spoke, 
And he said, the waters above and the waters below, let them be filled. Let the waters above be filled with birds of the air. Let the waters below be filled with the fish of the sea. They were teeming with life, birds, fish. God looked and saw that it was good. Day five. Then God spoke. He created animals of all kinds. Livestock. And the world was teeming with life. And then God made humans. Men, women, in His image. Just like Him. God said, let us make man in our image. And humans came. Let's go to the next slide here where we see God speaking to those people. He is blessing them. And He says, the two of you, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Take care of Have dominion over this world. Watch out for and take care of the animals. Shepherd them, guide them, care for them. And it was beautiful. God looked over all that he created and said, it is good. Day six. Then, we see on day seven, God rested. God rested from his work and enjoyed all that he had made. And the world, God, and people were in harmony and in love. And the people were in relationship to the world in peace. And all was good and whole. And as God had said, it is good. Isn't that fun? Isn't there a sense, just as it's repeated throughout, of there's something good happening, something powerful happening? Now, within that story, uh, when I say story, I'm not saying that this is untrue in any way. But it's revealing to us a sense of purpose behind it. It's, It's not scientific. It's not answering scientific questions, and yet it is addressing something. Where did it all come from? It's not telling us how God made it. It's telling us who made it. It's telling us the quality and the character of what was made. It is good. Not every question that we might have about the creation is answered there, and yet some of the most important ones are. What is the source? Who? God. And what is it about? Well, it is good. That's what the story is telling us. Our origin story. In fact, if you didn't know, Genesis essentially means origins. It's our origin story. But I want to show you something else here. Go to the next slide. I've organized the slides here. If you're listening to the podcast, what I've got is days one, two, and three on the top, and days four, five, and six on the bottom. And when I drew these pictures, I drew them intentionally to show you what's happening within the story. As the story began, in the first several verses, it says that the world was formless and void. There's different ways that's translated. Uh, I'm going to try to butcher the Hebrew by saying tohu wabohu. And tohu is a word, but wobohu, it really isn't. And so we don't really know for sure what it means. It could be something kind of like, you know, when you make up a word, like one billionthy billionzy, or one gazillion. We all kind of know what a gazillion is, but it's not a real number. It's to imply something. 
Some uh, translators have translated the word of what, the, what this all was like was that it was wild and waste, formless and void. Um, there's, there's all kinds of ways to say what it was like, but it was essentially nothingness. There was nothing. Try to picture nothing. Okay, close your eyes, picture nothing. Kind of hard, isn't it? And how we conceive of nothingness is different from how the ancient Hebrews would have con- con- conceived of nothingness. But tohu wabohu is that thing. It's formless and it's void. It's got no shape, it's got no contents. One way that we could see how this story is being told is that God is the host. And God is creating a place in which we can participate in life with God. To enjoy his hosting of us. So we might picture the first three days as God creating a table. Picture an empty dining room table. And then the second three days, God is putting things on the table to fill it up. There is becoming a form in the first three days, and then that void is being filled on the next three days. This isn't poetry, but it's poetic. See, on day one, there's light and the dark, but look at day four now. What does God do? He fills the light and the dark, the day and the night. He fills the light with the sun, and he fills the dark with the moon. On day two, where he separated the waters above and below, we now see on day five that he fills the waters above with birds and the waters below with fish. On day three, where God separated the water of the land from the the land itself and began to grow uh, trees and vegetation, we now see on day six he fills that land with animals and people. God is setting a table and then he's filling it with good things. He's taking a form, he's creating a form, and he's filling it. What the story is telling us is that God isn't making the world without purpose. He's making it full and alive. He is creating a space where life happens. It's intentional. It has purpose. It has a plan. And as he said throughout, he sees that it's good. This is really interesting. Well, let's go on uh, just to the slide here. And this is the verse, really, that I want us to focus on today and just to hear out loud, read from Scripture. This is Genesis 1, 3, 31. And throughout the text, it, it mentions God looking and seeing that what he's creating is good. But then at the very end of his creation, it says this, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. Now, that's an important word for us, the word saw, because he isn't simply declaring or deciding that it's good. It's an objective posture. He's looking, and he's recognizing, oh, that's good. He's not saying, "Uh, I made something, and uh, it's good. I'll call it good. No, he's looking and noticing that what he's created is good. Well, The reason for that is because God is good, and whatever God creates is going to be good. It's a reflection of him. So God sees that what he's created is good. Now, I want us to hear that verse, and 
this verse is so important because I think sometimes it's easy for us to recognize the brokenness of the world. Even the brokenness of our own hearts and our own conditions, or certainly of other people. But it doesn't it do something to hear, oh, you were created good. And when you, when you look at a child and when you say to that child, I love you, you are good, fills them up with a sense of life, doesn't it? I'm sure whenever you get encouraged, it fills you up, makes you feel alive. God didn't create you to be a mess. God didn't create the world to be chaos. He designed it with intention and purpose and filled it with good things, and he wants your life to be filled with good things. God looked at all that he created and saw it was good. That's a wonderful thing. I think in churches, in, in, in Christian life, and as human beings in general, we've often had a weird relationship with the world around us. Sometimes we've tried to actually experience that goodness so much that we've indulged in it. There's this kind of hedonism that we take pleasure in all these kind of ways, and we, we try to capitalize on the world so much that we're overdoing it. And it becomes bad for us because our whole focus is enjoying the world. That's unhealthy. We could go to the other extreme and be sort of ascetic in the way that we live, kind of holding back from the world, say, I'm not going to enjoy anything. I'm just, my focus is going to be on me internally, and I'm going to try to just be good and separate myself from the world and not enjoy the delights of it because the desires of the flesh are sinful. Well, that's another extreme that would also be a bit weird. But a lot of Christians go that way. Two other ways we could conceive of sort of those difference, that spectrum, is uh, idolatry. To enjoy the world too much, to focus on it as if it's something to be worshipped. To create our lives and to center our lives around the creation uh, would be idolatry. And that would be a problem, because where's God in that? But we could also go to another place where we say the world is bad, and we should remove ourselves from it, and that would be Gnosticism, to say that matter and things of this world are bad, and the only things that are important are the spiritual things. So I'm going to forget about the world, and I'm only going to be paying attention to the spiritual things of God. Well, that would also be weird, because God created the world good. So what I want us to do today is to recognize the goodness of creation and what God created it for, so that we begin to have a sense of how we live within it well that we don't enjoy it in a way that's too focused on desire and pleasure and delight, but that we enjoy it as God did, with delight, because it's good. And that we don't remove ourselves from it too much and become avoidant of the things that are good, but we enjoy it and participate it in the right and proper way. So what is the purpose all behind this? I I was reading uh, from one particular book, over the past couple of months, and I want to share it with you. The book is called God's Good World uh, by Jonathan R. Wilson. Jonathan, uh, he wasn't one of my professors, but I met him a number of times, and he's been a professor at the school that I attended, and uh, and I've also read a number of his books as part of courses. Uh, He's a deep and thoughtful man, and I've appreciated him a lot. Here's a quote from his book, God's Good World. And this actually spans over a couple of pages, so I'm condensing it a bit, but we are part of creation, he writes. To live is to participate in creation. The Hebrew word for this wholeness is shalom, peace. 
Our telos, now telos is just a fancy word we use to talk about our purpose or the reason we exist, the end of it all. Our telos is to participate in the peace of creation. So our whole reason for being, the reason that God created us good was so that we could participate in creation with God, like God. And we are meant to participate in the peace of creation, the wholeness of creation. We were designed and intended to be part of it all, right in the thick of it. Oh, I just realized I'm quoting a TikTok meme right now, into the thick of it. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's probably better. (laughs) But we are meant to be deeply engaged and participating in all of creation. That was how God declared it in the beginning, you'll remember. We are meant to be involved deeply in every aspect of creation and to make it better. We'll look at that more in the weeks to come. But what we're going to focus on is how we as human beings participate in peace, help produce a sense of wholeness and shalom within the world, how we as human beings build and work for the wholeness of all of creation that shows up in human relationships, how we see ourselves, how we relate to one another. It shows up in acts of justice towards other human beings. It shows up in the way that we work, how we participate in culture and art, how we participate in society as a whole. Working for the peace of creation plays itself out in acts of service, the way that we rest, the way we care, the way that we live in the world as a whole. What a beautiful thing to think that our purpose for being here is to enjoy, participate in, work for, and build peace. Now, one of the things that happens a lot of times in churches is we read the first two chapters of Genesis and get right to chapter three where human beings mess it all up. And it's almost like we see chapters one and two as just like this quick little story to get to the point. Well, the world is broken and we're all terrible. Our sinful hearts are ruling and reigning. Well, yes, that is the world that we live in now. But today, and our purpose over this series is going to be listening to focus on how we are created good, what our purpose and intention for was. Now, things aren't the way they're intended to be. That's the situation of sin. Yes, that is the reality that we find ourselves. But we need to first recognize why we were created, what we are supposed to be about. And if you want to know a basic frame of the whole story of Scripture, it's that we were created for good, we were damaged by evil, and in Christ we were restored for better, and then as a church we are sent to heal. Now, restored for better means that we are going to experience the world even better than what we saw in Eden. And sent to heal means that it's our job as a church to go into the world to bring that peace about by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. That's the good news, is that wholeness and life are possible because of Jesus. That the brokenness we're seeing around us now isn't the end of the story. But that Jesus makes it possible for us to experience something better. 
And so, over this series, we're going to be focusing on that, our purpose, but also what it means for us now to live in a way that our, is, we are peacemakers in the world, bringing about wholeness and shalom in all things. And I want to take you now to a verse um, in Colossians 1. This is another origin story. And here it's now telling us the story of creation, but through the lens particularly of Jesus. I've abbreviated it here for simplicity right now. But it says everything was created through him, through Jesus, and for him. So its purpose is for him. We were created by him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now what I want to do is, like Moses was looking back into the past to reveal the origin story of God's people, I want us to look back to the story of Jesus and understand our purpose through his lens. Because in Jesus, we see several things. First of all, Jesus came in the flesh. And if God thought that the world, that the physical matter of stuff was bad, he wouldn't touch it, would he? But instead he inhabited it. He took it on. He became a human being. And so in the incarnation, we see an affirmation that the world is created good, that stuff isn't inherently bad. He comes to redeem it. That's his whole purpose. He wants it back. And so we also see not only that incarnation affirms the goodness of the physical existence, but also it affirms the value of it because he's willing to even die for it. So when we look at creation through the lens of Jesus, we see it is good and valuable and he loves it. In fact, what do we read in John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his son. So through this series, we're talking about how the world was created for good, and then through Jesus, it's restored for better, and that we as human beings are sent to heal. And we're going to be talking about what it means for us to live as peacemakers, to live as people who create shalom and wholeness within all things. I want to remind you that sadness and tears and sickness and brokenness are not part of God's design. Remember, we heard that all the way back in Revelation. What does Jesus declare at the end? Behold, I'm making all things new. And there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more sickness. That's what God intends for us. That's what we as people can work for and bring about in our world through his power alone. So that's a beautiful thing. And as I reflected on all these things, I thought, I, I want someone to help us hear that story in a way uh, different than I can even express. And I have a friend named Renee McVicker, and she did uh, a thesis, uh, a master's thesis, on uh, play as holy. Play as holy. And now I'm, we're going to play an interview of her that I did with her. And the reason for this is um, when we can play, when we can enjoy the world around us, that's a sign that we understand what God created it for. 
that delighting and having joy in the, the world here that we live in, even in all its brokenness, that that's a sign we understand what God is all about. I'm not going to steal any of her thunder. She's going to explain what that's all about. But why is play so important? Watch and listen as Renee explains for us. Hello, Cornerstone. My name is Gordon Dickinson, of course, and with me today is Renee McVicker. Uh, Renee is the Associate Pastor of Community Engagement at Hillside Baptist Church in Moncton, New Brunswick. She's married to Joe, and they have two girls in the house. Previously, for six years, she served as the Director of Youth and Family Ministries for the CBAC. That's us. And she led about 450 Baptist churches in our region. Simultaneously, she was the director of the Next Generation Ministry Program at Acadia Divinity College. And I've had a chance to see Renee in action many different times and have always been impressed both with her character and competence. She's well known here in Atlantic Canada as uh, being a gifted and capable leader. And I should say even beyond Atlantic Canada, I know. So Renee, thank you so much for doing this and for sharing with us today. Great to be with Cornerstone. Yeah, well, we'll get right into it, Renee. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, you had done some writing on a theology of play. What, what drew you to that topic in the first place, and how did it impact you? Mm. Yeah, really, it was a play deficit that drew me to the topic. A play deficit I saw in God's people, in the church, and in myself personally. See, I had been taught, probably like a lot of people, a really strong work ethic, and it led to little room in my life for play. And also at the time that I started writing about play, I was actually in the middle of a really dark season in ministry and in life, and everything just felt so heavy. And so it felt like God himself led me to this invitation to explore his invitation to play, even in the middle of the darkness in our world. And see, I think the danger is when we don't have a theology of play, we derive our, our worth and we evaluate the worth of other people from work and productivity, which, as you know, Gord, and I'm sure the congregation knows, that's not the gospel of Jesus. We're not machines. We're not slaves. We're not here on earth just to produce and for advancement and betterment. We're children of God in relationship with God. And even if we don't produce another thing, God loves us and delights in us. Um, yeah, so it was really seeing this deficit that led me to explore more. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Well, you know, what I find interesting about it as well is that when people hear the word play, many of us would imagine something that's very frivolous or expendable. Yeah. You know, it's something for kids. It's not something that serious people or serious Christians do. Uh, we're surprised to hear that play is somehow meaningful to God and much less reflective of who God is. So what have we been missing, Renee? How does play reflect the nature of God? I think that's such an important question because ultimately it reflects our understanding of the character of God and our vision and how big that vision of God is that each of us has. And I think part of the very essence of God is joy. God is the most joyful being in the entire universe and God takes great delight in all of his creation, whether that's, you know, delighting in the dolphins that swim in the sea or the birds swooping in the air or, or us human beings skipping stones on the water. Um, we know that in the creation that you're studying together in Genesis, when God looks at what he created, he said, it is good. And I think the meaning of that word good sometimes gets lost with us in, in the English language. 
And in the Hebrew, the word is tov or tob. And it means unrestrained joy and wild delight. So God and the world God created is charged with that joyful delight, just waiting for us to discover it. And so that's that's play. Play is the invitation to go exploring for that joyful delight that God's already planted in the world. And God takes delight. And we enjoy the good friendships, relationships, good gifts he's given us in this world. Um, and so when I look at play in scripture and then in life, I actually see it as a sign of God's kingdom, a sign of how God's kingdom of heaven has and is breaking into our world. Because hmm. God's kingdom is that place, right, where there's no tears. Um, there's actually no hierarchy. We're, we're all equal like we can be when we play. Uh, God's kingdom can be a place where we can enjoy people and relationships without the need to change them or rule over them, but simply to delight. Um, and so I think it's a taste of heaven. And especially when we see the darkness and the evil in our world. Uh, Karl Barth, talking about joy, used this word, these words, defiant nevertheless. That play can be this defiant nevertheless, declaring to your own soul, declaring to the world that evil does not have the final word, right? Play is that way of showing, yeah, I can play, I can delight even now, even amidst the evil in the world, because I know Jesus has the victory. It was really neat studying play. I discovered that in the medieval times in churches, on Easter Sunday, the priest would actually take something kind of like the big beach ball and toss it out into the congregation. And the congregation would play with it as a sign of that joy of the resurrection, as a sign that they could play even with the evil and Satan in our world because they knew Christ has the victory. And so really, Christians joyful beings on earth because we know the end of the story. So play is so important because it's a way of declaring to my body, my soul, my mind that God is good and God gives me good gifts to enjoy and evil doesn't have to have a hold on me or in our community. I can play now because I know Christ's victory is coming. That's incredible. I, I, I just love how you articulated that. And I love the idea of, you know, bouncing a beach ball around. You know, I would got trouble for things like that in youth ministry <laughs> back in the day. And you're telling me that that's, you know, how people have been doing in the church for a long time. I love that. Let's bring um, that back on Easter Sunday. <laughs> absolutely. All right. It'll be a new tradition here at Cornerstone. Uh, so, you know, I, I, you're helping us picture things. Help us imagine even further the impact we'd see if Christians all around the world understood play and participated in it. And along those lines, perhaps you could give us some suggestions for practices, habits that would help us in that, not just bouncing around a, a beach ball. <laughs> Well, let me start with saying I think a simple definition of play is delighting in God, creation, and others. So as you think about it, think about activities that make you feel fully alive and, and glad to be alive. So not activities that abuse or use others or not activities that just numb you out, but activities that cultivate joy for all the good God has planted in our world. So yeah, let's imagine together if Christians all over the world understood and participated in play. 
I think we'd be that defiant nevertheless uh, among our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends who would start to wonder, how can we have such joy in this world, in this world with all its challenges and heaviness and tragedies and darkness? Our play could be a sign posting to the fact that we're living for a greater reality than just what we see in this world. I think our play can be a sign uh, pointing others to the joyful, free, grace-filled life that's available in Jesus. Uh, I think our play can spark the joy of our creator God in other people. But I also think many of us, especially us serious Christians, have forgotten how to play. Um, So if that's you, go easy on yourself and and start small, even just introducing one hour of play a week, or if you have to, spreading that hour over a couple days. Um, And one thing you can do is remember the activities that have brought you joy and made you feel fully alive in the past. Um, Even when you were young, what brought you joy? Maybe riding a bike without having a real destination or taking out a kayak and and not taking your watch or your phone, I I know, radical, or climbing a tree or playing a board game or building something, whatever it is that reminds you of the joy and goodness in our world. Another great practice is just to get around kids that know how to play, that haven't forgotten yet how to play, and just join in with them, whatever they're doing, playing hide and seek or on the floor with their their cars and their toys, and let them be your guide, your coach in play. And I think another helpful practice is actually to stop thinking we need to be productive all the time. And, and if you have to schedule it, schedule it, but schedule unproductive time, time to do nothing but delight in the goodness from God, the good gifts God gives, um, whether that's food or good friends or taking a cool dip in a river on a hot day or lingering over a good cup of coffee or I love right now pulling out the hammock in our backyard and just reading a book that has nothing to do with work, (laughs) but allowing yourself unproductive, playful time. I mentioned to you, Gord, that when I was writing this thesis on play, I was actually in a dark season myself. And so one of the things I did at first to to practice play was I went and bought uh, some bubbles And I felt so ridiculous. I was sitting there by myself, pulling out that little wand, blowing bubbles, going, what am I doing? But it was so good because I had a a cat at the time and my cat started just playing with those bubbles and was mesmerized. And as I just kept going through that practice of trying to play again for the first time in a while, joy and hope started to rise in me again for for the first time in a long time. And it it really felt like a miracle to feel play starting to restore some joy. And so play served as that reminder in the midst of darkness and sadness that it it really is okay to play and laugh and be silly because darkness does not win and Christ does have the victory. It really is that beautiful taste of heaven that play can be. And so that's part of my hope for all the folks at Cornerstone is they get to experience this joy of play. 
That's that's so wonderful. I, I just I, I think you've given us a wonderful picture of just how full this is and, and how God really intends for us a life that's beautiful and incredible. And, you know, Jesus says, uh, you know, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And that's, I think, what you're describing for us. And I also thought about just the words, um, you know, that the the sign of the spirit, the evidence of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit. We're more mm-hmm. familiar with that language is joy. This really exactly. is God's character. So, wow, just thank you so much, Renee, for sharing uh, all these thoughts with us and uh, and your research, your work, and all of that. So thank you so much. Yeah, My pleasure. God bless. Wasn't that great? <laughs> Didn't Renee just express that so well? What? What are you looking at? Just, just hold on, just hold on. <laughs> I know you know what's coming. But you know what? We're, we're actually going to take communion now. And, and I know that some of you are thinking, while you're holding a beach ball? I'm going to set it down, and we're going to serve. And I'm not doing this to make light of what Jesus did. I'm doing it because we can make light because of what Jesus did. Okay. So we're going to take communion. We're going to reflect back on what he's made possible for us in his death, in how he made peace throughout all of heaven and earth. And we're going to reflect on that and remember that, but we're also going to remember we have joy and goodness because of that, that Jesus came to give us life so we could have it to the full. So I want you to take the bread and the juice that's there, and, you know, I, I just could not allow us to eat those terrible, they're called miracle meals. We have to actually taste some bread and juice today. And I hope you've got enough at your table. Serve each other, if you would, and hopefully uh, we can do this in a way that's, that's all right. And uh, I want to remind you as we take this bread, take it in your hand. This bread reminds us that Jesus came in the flesh and that he said, in so doing, that the world was created good. He reminded us of, of that very fact, so much so that he was willing for his body to be broken to restore it. And that there is the gift of his spirit, his life that was in him, within us, as we follow him into that newness of life. That he declares over us ultimately, behold, I am making all things new. And so we can celebrate against the darkness, against the grief and brokenness of the world, and we can enjoy the goodness of God and the goodness here in the world as we work for peace together. And now to the one who is making you whole in Jesus Christ, who there at the cross took upon himself the curse and brokenness of the world to restore it, to make unity and wholeness, shalom, peace. Eat this bread and drink this cup, and may the life that was in him be in you also. Eat and drink. Now that all the juice has been drunk and hopefully won't be spilled as this thing goes around the room. Yes, we're doing this. 
Let's get it over this way. Come on, come on. Whoa, whoa, keep it going. Yes, your pastor's insane. We're all crazy. Tell your friends about this crazy church. Woo, woo. All right, let's leave it there. That's a small picture of the joy of God. You will not forget that moment. (laughs) You'll be sitting on your deathbed someday, starting to tell a story about a pastor in a beach ball in church, and people will think, oh, this is the end. He's lost it for sure. That's good. Who won the game? (laughs) Yeah, we all did. We all did. <laughs> Welcome back, Dick. Uh, you know, thankfully, though, you know, we've advanced now to have summer staff, so I let them fill it up. <laughs> uh, God is good, amen? And God created the world for good, so let's enjoy it. And we're going to be talking about what it means to live in peace throughout it through the rest of the summer, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to sing a song. It's an old song now. Uh, I hope you'll know uh, the doxology. Remain seated so you can keep your masks off. Uh, Let's put it up here. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Ah! Ah, it is good. God created it good. Let me just simply remind you, there's an offering box here as a way of tangibly expressing that the world doesn't have a hold on you, but that Jesus is enough. If you want to give in that way, you can do that. Uh, You will need to put your masks on as you leave, uh, unfortunately, but the time is coming where I don't think it'll be much longer. We'll have to do that. Let's close in a word of prayer, uh, and let's pray. God, thank you that you love us, that you delight in us. And that we've had a little picture of that here today. Thank you that Jesus came to give us life and to restore what was broken for something even better. And that we are part of your mission in the world to heal it, to bring about that wholeness and shalom peace that you created it for in the first place. Help us to find ourselves in your story, to enjoy our part that we play, and to allow the fullness of life to be what draws people in to your goodness. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, what you've shown us, and who we are because of you. In the name of Jesus, we celebrate and declare your goodness.